0: There's a lot of misconceptions about hell, and that's mainly because it's not talked about. And that's somewhat understandable. You know, it's not exactly after-dinner conversation, but we need to talk about it because Jesus did in 46 different verses. Why did he talk about it so much? Because that's what he saved us from. There was a 2013 Barna poll that showed that 71% of Americans believe in hell, but less than one-half of 1% actually believe they're going to go there. Yet Jesus said in Matthew 7, many are going there and few are going to heaven. The poll also showed that 54% of Americans believe that if you do good works, you'll enter heaven. Yet Ephesians 2.8.9 says you're saved by grace, not by works. In addition, the poll showed that less than 32% of Americans believe that hell is a place of torment. Yet Jesus says where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched, where they're cast into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He mentioned everlasting fire, everlasting damnation, and everlasting punishment. So we all have a choice. Do we believe Jesus or the Poles? Well, I'm just here to share with you some information that will enable you to make an informed decision about your afterlife because you could be on the wrong path. You know, the wisest man that ever lived was King Solomon, except for Jesus. And he said in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So we just ask you to simply remain open. And this is not a message of condemnation. It's actually a message of love because it's a message of warning. And I'm going to share with you the horrors of hell, but more importantly about the great love of God, how much he loves every single person. And I'm going to also point out to you that God doesn't send anybody to hell. It's our own words that send us to hell. I'm going to show you that. On November 23rd, 1998, I had an experience that changed my life. It doesn't matter if you believe my experience. What matters is that you check out what the Bible has to say about hell and avoid it just the same. This was not a near-death experience. This was an out-of-body experience that's classified as a vision in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 12:1 and 2, Paul, when he was caught up in heaven in a vision, he said whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. Well, the Lord just happened to show me that I left my body. So in a vision, you can actually travel, like Paul and John actually traveled to heaven in their spirit body. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 talks about a natural body and a spirit body. So you can actually travel to heaven in your spirit body or wherever God takes you. And Ezekiel chapter 8, he was picked up by his hair and he was carried from Babylon to Jerusalem. He was told to eat. He experienced the sweetness of the food in his stomach. He wept, he conversed. My point is, in your spirit body, the things experienced are just as real as they would be in your physical body. And this is not to compare my experience with any of the great men in the Bible. I'm just trying to give you a scriptural basis of how this can occur for a Christian. The only way a Christian can see hell is in a vision. I've been a Christian for 46 years. And Job 7.14 says, you scare me with dreams and terrify me through visions. So you can have a terrifying vision. Isaiah 21.2, he was given a grievous vision. And in Job 4.14, Eliphaz was given a vision that caused his bones to shake. So you can't have a grievous, terrifying, bone-shaking vision. So this was at least one of those. And one thing that was unique about this vision, God blocked it from my mind that I was a Christian. He hid that fact from me. And you say, Bill, where's that in the Bible? In Luke 24.16, when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says their eyes were holden that they should not know him. John MacArthur's commentary and Matthew Henry's commentary point out that they were kept by God from recognizing him. God hid it from their minds. Other examples of this are in John 20, 14, Luke 18, 34, Daniel 4, 34, 2 Kings 4, 27. All places where God hid something from their mind, and he did hide it from my mind for a reason, which I will get to and explain. And the last thing is you might say, but Bill, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Why do I need to hear about hell? Three quick reasons. Number one, when you understand how severe hell is, you'll be much more appreciative of your own salvation from what he saved you from. There, there's a lot of Christians today believe in a teaching called annihilationism, which is a teaching that says you simply cease to exist if you deny Jesus. That's not true. Jesus said in Matthew 25:46, "These peace should go into everlasting life, and these shall go into everlasting punishment. Use the same word "everlasting" as the word "ionios." So, just as heaven is everlasting, so is hell everlasting. It says the same thing in John 5:29, Mark 16:16, 16, 16, Daniel 12:2, Acts 24:15, Matthew 13:30. Many places where it talks about hell is eternal, and you'll thank God that you were safe in this horrible place. Number two, it causes us all to walk more in the fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 17 explain that the fear of the Lord is simply that you read his word and you obey his word. That we have enough respect for Almighty God that we'll do what he told us to do. That we don't want to offend him. But we love him and we want to show him that by being obedient. And when you understand how severe hell is, you'll want to walk straight with God. You will not want to compromise your life and live in sin, and play around with sin. Proverbs sixteen six says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. See, it's the fear of the Lord that keeps us walking the straight walk. It'll give you that healthy, reverential fear. Number three, it'll give us more, as Christians, a passion for the lost, a desire to want to witness. You know, it takes effort to share the gospel with people. It's more comfortable to not say anything. You know, but that's our job. God's called us all as Christians to share the word of God with people. And so he's entrusted us with the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11, Paul said... Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, even though that scripture is talking about the judgment seat, the reward seat for Christians, most of the commentaries point out that he was also talking about judgment and hell in general. So when you understand judgment and hell in general, you'll be more persuasive with men. You'll take more effort to persuade them of the truth of the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about people over the head with the Bible. I'm just talking about being sensitive each day when you wake up to say, Lord, use me today. I will Put me in front of somebody that I can share your word with. And watch for those opportunities. If you watch for them, God will put you in front of people all the time where you can have an opportunity to say something and share the truth with people. And again, it's so they can make an informed decision. So understanding the the judgment in hell, you'll be more persuasive. You will take more effort. You'll think, man, I don't want my family going there. I don't want my friends going there. I didn't know it was that severe. That's what it will do It'll cause you to do that. We went to a prayer meeting. We attended every Sunday night. Nothing unusual about the night. I have never studied the topic of hell prior to this experience. Uh, I was a Christian for 28 years at that point. Uh, Going to church, serving in our church. I've never gone to dark movies. I've never drank. I've never taken drugs. And I've never had a vision before. And we came home from this prayer meeting, went to bed. I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning just to get a glass of water. And suddenly I was pulled out of my body like being drawn up out of your body. and My body collapsed on the floor, and I left. And I started traveling down this long tunnel. And I was getting hotter and hotter and darker and darker. And I landed on an actual stone floor in a prison cell in hell. I had no idea how I got there or why I was there. I was fully awake and cognizant, just like I'm standing here now, in this filthy, stinking, smoke-filled dungeon. And the first thing I noticed was the intense heat. It was so far beyond the ability to stay in life, I wondered, how could I be alive in this place? And um, I looked up and I saw bars, rough-hewn stone walls and bars. But Isaiah 24, 22 says, and they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs seven twenty seven mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death. The word chambers means inner rooms. Job 17.16 says, they shall go down to the bars of the pit. Jonah 2.6, the earth with her bars was about me forever. And the Tyndale, the New International, many other commentaries point out that Jonah was at the gates of hell and that it was literal bars and gates. And this is where I first found myself, face down on the floor. And uh, what I noticed besides the heat was I wanted to get up. My inclination was to get up and try to run out of the cell. But I had no physical strength in my body. It took so much effort to move, I thought, what's wrong with my body? But see, Isaiah 14, 9, and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, art thou become weak as we? And Psalms 88, 4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. So one of the things you endure in hell for all eternity is you're completely void of physical strength. Now, if you ever had the flu and you felt weak, Well, it's a thousand times worse. Any movement takes tremendous effort. But see, Acts 17, 28 says, in Him we live and move and have our being. So even movement comes from God. It's not automatic. I looked up and I saw these two demons in the cell. Beasts, reptilish in appearance. Bumps and scales all over the one's body like that. Huge jaws, sunken eyes, claws about a foot long. And these particular two are about 12 or 13 feet tall. It's not an exaggeration. I could give you scripture for that, but I'll keep moving. And they were pacing like a vicious, caged animal. The most ferocious demeanor demons have. And they were blaspheming and cursing God. An extreme hatred for God. But we know blasphemy comes from the demonic realm. Revelation 13, 6, James 2, 7, and some other verses. And then they directed this hatred they had for God. They directed it towards me. I wondered why, what have I done to them? But the one demon picked me up, tremendous strength demons have, picked me up, threw me into the wall of this prison cell like I weighed the weight of a water glass. I hit the wall, bones broke. I felt like bones broke. Now, the spirit doesn't have bones, but it felt like I had bones, and I felt like they had broken. But I, I, the pain was being blocked. I understood that most of the pain I felt was being blocked. I didn't understand them, but the Lord explained that he blocked most of it He did allow me to feel a small amount of it so I could relate to people. It's not metaphorical. It's not a state of the mind in hell. The pain you feel is literal. And then this other demon grabbed me, picked me up, dug its claws in my chest, and just tore the flesh open. I couldn't believe this was happening. How could I be alive through this? I should be dead. I noticed I had a body. Remember Matthew 10.28 says, Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You have a body, but it withstands these blows. Remember Luke 16, the rich man in hell wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue. He had a tongue, he had a mouth to speak, he had eyes that he lifted. So you have a body in hell but it withstands these torments. And, but I noticed also there was no blood or water coming from the wound. It was dry. But see, Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9.11 says, thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water in hell. And these demons have no mercy over you whatsoever. They have an extreme hatred for mankind. Let's see, Psalms 103.17 says, The mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear Him. Well, they don't fear Him in hell, so they don't derive the benefit of mercy. And you know, we've seen some of this lack of mercy in the world today. We've seen, I didn't watch it, but people have seen it on the YouTube where the terrorists saw people's heads off, right? How merciless is that? Well, that comes from the demonic realm. I was uh, about this moment in this cell. It went dark. Now, I believed it was God's presence there to illuminate it so I could see to describe to people what it looks like. But then it resumed its normal state. Absolute pitch black darkness. You could not see the hand in front of your face. It is so dark in hell. Lamentations 3, six says, He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Jude 13 mentions blackness of darkness forever. But it wasn't just dark. You could actually feel it. And that's not an exaggeration. Exodus 10.21 mentions a darkness that may be felt. It just seems to penetrate through every cell in your body. It's such wickedness and evil and darkness in this place. And uh, I wanted to get out of there, but something picked me up. And took me out of this prison cell. It was God, but I didn't realize it then. And placed me over next to this large, raging pit of fire. This pit was about a mile across. With flames raging high up under this open cavern. I understood it was about a mile across. That was just my understanding. And with real, literal fire. It wasn't metaphorical or allegorical flames. I saw the flames. I felt the heat. It's real fire. But more importantly, it's what the scripture says. Psalms 11.6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain fire and brimstone in a horrible tempest. Psalms 140, verse 10, Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits. Matthew 13.49, The angels shall sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into the furnace of fire. Many more verses I could give you about fire, but this is where I could first see people. Inside this pit I could see the outlines of people, thousands of people standing in this pit burning. Now, I have to explain that it's so dark in hell, it consumes the light, but I could see through the flames and just along the edges of where I was standing. I don't know if everybody can. I was in a vision, so it might be different for me, but I could see through the flames, and the outlines of people, they just looked like skeletons. And they were screaming in agony and burning in the fire, clawing, trying to get out of this big pit. But they had no physical strength, and there were demons shoving them back in in this pit. it, It I wanted to help them. I felt so helpless. I couldn't help myself. And uh, but to see a person on fire, most of us have never seen that. It's an awful thing to see a person burning, and the screams are so loud and deafening. You want to get away from the sound. It, it's you can't even describe how loud it is. And but you can't. You have to endure that for all eternity. But see, Isaiah 57:21 says, "There is no peace," saith my God, "to the wicked. No peace of mind. No peace of any kind." But see, also Isaiah 32, 18 says, my people dwell in a quiet resting place. You're not his people, so you don't derive the benefit of quiet. Now, I understood I was down deep in the earth. I descended to get there, and I ascended when I left, but I understood I was down deep in the earth. That's where the current hell, or Sheol, Hades is a Greek word for the current hell. But more importantly, there's 49 scriptures that talk about where the current hell is. I'll just give you two. Ezekiel 26, 20. Number 16, 32, and 33, very clear. It's down deep in the earth. And I understood there were different levels of torment and degrees of punishment. I had that understanding that there were worse places than I was in. And, uh, but remember, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 14, you shall receive the greater damnation, inferring as a lesser damnation. or Matthew 10, 15, he said it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city, inferring as a less tolerable Luke 12, 47, you'll be beaten with many stripes or beaten with few. Hebrews 10, 28, of how much worse of a punishment suppose it shall be for you, you who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. There's a worse punishment. My point is, there is no tolerable, comfortable level in hell. Any level is far worse than you can imagine. I wanted to talk to my wife. I wanted to let her know where I was at. But I understood I'll never get that opportunity. And to not say goodbye to your loved ones, to have no finality is really tormenting. You don't realize that. But when you're there, you know you're not going to get out. And they will never know that you're still existing. See, death does not mean cease to exist. Death means separation from God. You still exist. You're just down deep in the earth. And to never say goodbye and have no finality with your loved ones, your family, they'll never see you again. They won't even know that you still exist. It's really a tormenting thought. I wanted to talk to a person. Just anybody, right? It's pleasure in conversation or being with people. That's pleasurable. But in the pit, they were kept at a distance from each other. Nobody's close to each other, so you have no conversation. You're isolated. You're by yourself all eternity. Imagine having never a conversation and not seeing people for all eternity and being in darkness anyway. And uh, you have, it's just a useless wasting away. You have no purpose, no destiny. Ecclesiastes 9:10 says, there is no work." nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol. And it doesn't matter if you're somebody famous here, no one would know who you are there. Ecclesiastes 6, four says your name is covered in darkness. You're forgotten in hell, Psalms 88.12, Isaiah 26.14, Deuteronomy 32.26, many scriptures about being forgotten. I mean, right, we don't think about people in hell, do you? I mean, even today, if you go to a funeral, it's usually stated, well, they've gone to a better place. But that's not the case for most. But that's what most people think. So you never really give people thought in hell. The stench is so foul and putrid in hell. Worse than any open sewer you have ever smelled. Take that times a thousand. Um, remember Jesus rebuked the foul spirits. Demons have a disgusting foul odor to them. And the smell of, it smells like burning flesh. Uh, and also the smell of burning sulfur. And if you ever go to Hawaii to the volcano, they have signs posted where you cannot go past a certain point because the burning sulfur, the toxicity of the sulfur coming up, will kill you if you breathe it. It's called sulfur dioxide. It's toxic. Well, sulfur is just another word for brimstone. You know, brimstone is all through the Bible. So you're breathing in this foul, putrid, disgusting air that you do not want to breathe. But it's even worse than that because there's not enough air to breathe. You can't take a nice deep breath in hell. Like, you don't get to do that in hell. You have to fight for even the tiniest bit of oxygen. And maybe only an asthma patient or a fireman can relate to this. But this is how you breathe in hell. It was like, "Ah, ah, ah." that was as much air as you could get. It wasn't enough. It felt like any moment you're going to suffocate. So you have that ongoing feeling for all eternity. But see, Isaiah 42.5 says, The Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon here if you're down deep beneath here. God is very specific with his word. You need to sleep in hell. Just like here we need to sleep, right? Now, I was only there 23 minutes, but I felt like I was there 23 weeks without going to sleep. And if you ever stayed up for just two nights, just stay up for two nights and don't go to sleep. You can't even function after two days. Well, in hell you need to sleep also, but you never get to go to sleep. So you have that ongoing feeling of absolute, total exhaustion. Let's see, Revelation 14, 10, and 11 says, uh, And they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night. Now that primarily means no rest from the torment, but no rest of any kind. Because Isaiah 57, 20 says, The wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. Now the sea is always moving. can't rest. But see, rest is a blessing from God. Psalms 127.2 said, The Lord gives His beloved sleep. You're not His beloved. You will not derive that benefit. I was standing next to this big pit of fire, and the demons were shoving people back in. People were screaming and burning. Standing next to this big pit, I was beneath cavern walls like a tunnel ascending upward. And all along the cavern walls, like I said, I could only see along the edges and through the flames. But I, there was snakes all over, crawling all over everything. And I was standing on a bed of maggots, solid maggots. Remember, Jesus said, "Where their worm dies not," and He used the word maggot. Look it up in the original; it's the word maggot. And I never knew this. Well, look, watch this; you'll see this. I know it's disgusting. I'm just trying to show you, give you a picture what the hell's really like. You know, Isaiah 14, says, where the maggot will be spread under thee and the worm will cover thee. Again, look it up, it's the word maggot. And it, I didn't know this, but if a dead animal is being eaten by maggots, you know this is disgusting, but bear with me. If a dead animal is being eaten by maggots, after they consume the flesh, maggots die. I never knew that. They will die after they consume the flesh. That's why Jesus said, where their worm dies not. Because the flesh, or seemingly flesh, is never consumed. So the maggot, as Job 24.20 says, the maggot will feed sweetly on me." Is that disgusting? This is for all eternity. The fear level that you experience in hell is so far beyond anything you can imagine. Now many of us have gone through certain things that we've experienced fear, right? And the fear jumps up in your throat. Maybe you're in a car accident. Right before the moment, the impact, you felt the fear jump in your throat. Maybe you're robbed at gunpoint. Maybe you're in the war and you saw some horrible things. Well, I want to share with you an experience I had so you can try to understand. See, here we're comfortable. You're not going to get this right now. But I want to share with you an experience I had so you can relate to the fear that you're experiencing now. When I was a teenager, I used to surf a lot. We were off Cocoa Beach, Florida, surfing. About 100 guys out that day, big day, having a great time. And suddenly, this guy next to me gets his leg torn off. Sharks, blood all over the water. Now, I got up on my nine-foot board, and a shark passed by my board. He was longer than the board I was on. And he came back, and he bit my board in half. It was a tiger shark. If you know anything about tiger sharks, they're vicious. They eat anything, and they don't let you go. Well, that shark came back, grabbed my leg, and pulled me down under the water. Now, you can imagine the fear that I, I felt at that moment, right? I mean, you can sort of relate to that. I can tell you there's not much more fearful than that in life. Well, that fear that I felt at that moment pale in comparison to what you're feeling now. It wouldn't even register. You see, Psalm 73, 18 and 19 says, you cast them down into destruction where they are utterly consumed with terrors. And this terror is for all eternity. But praise God, the shark opened his mouth and let me go. And even more of a miracle, I looked down and I didn't even have a mark in my leg. That's impossible. Once they grab your leg, it'd be shredded. But God was looking out for me. There. And I was not even a Christian. But I got saved immediately after that. Yeah. We serve a good God. Amen. I got to enjoy my leg all these years. And, or I could have died. God's you know, so good. But you say, Bill, why would God make such a horrible place? Well, Jesus explained why. In Matthew 25, 41, he said that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. He never intended for man to go to this place. It was prepared for the devil. But he used the word prepared. Same word he used in John fourteen, two, where he goes to prepare a place for us in heaven or make ready. So what he did in the preparation, since he was preparing it for the devil, you see, James 1, 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. So all the good we enjoy in life, the fresh air, sunshine, fellowship, sleep, eating, all the good comes from God. It's not automatic. Good comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. So what he did in preparation was he withdrew his goodness or his attributes. See, hell is dark because 1 John 1 5 said God is life. There's only death in hell because John 1 4 said God is life. There's only hatred in hell because 1 John 4.16 said God is love. There's no mercy in hell. Because Psalms 36.5 says, the mercy of the Lord is in the heavens. There's no strength in hell because Psalms 18.32 said, it's the Lord that gives us strength. There's no water in hell because Deuteronomy 11.11 says, water is the reign of heaven. And there's no peace in hell because Isaiah 9.6 says, he is the prince of peace. So see if God removes himself from the situation, all the good goes with him. You can't separate the two. You can't have the good without God. Can you see that? Other than one thing, the fire in hell does represent God's wrath. All through the scripture it says he will pour out his wrath in the form of fire on sin. So the fire is God's wrath. But God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so we wouldn't have to take that wrath. So it's your choice. You can either let Jesus take it or you can take it. But can you see why hell's so horrible? It's because God is absent from this place. You know, Psalms 33, five says the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We get to enjoy God's goodness while we're here in life. Even if you're not saved, you get to enjoy God's goodness. But after this life, if you deny him, you will not get to see his goodness. That's why hell's so horrible. As I was looking at all this horror and people being shoved into this pit, something began lifting me up this tunnel, sending me up through this dark tunnel. And in this absolute pitch black darkness, suddenly this bright light appeared. Now, I knew immediately who it was. I had no doubt in my mind. And I just called out his name. I didn't see his face. I just saw the outline of a man standing in this bright, pure, holy light, like no light I have ever seen. And I said, Jesus. And he said, I am. And when he said I am, I went out. I don't know if I died, passed out. I can only explain through Revelation 1.16. When John saw him, he said his countenance was bright as the sun, and I fell at his feet as one dead. And that's what happened. Well, after a time, he touched me, and I came to at his feet. And it hit me so strongly that if he wouldn't have gone to the cross, I would be in that place for all eternity. I'm telling you, I was so grateful for the cross. I had a new appreciation for the cross. Thank you, Jesus. See, you have to understand in hell, you understand you're not going to get out. Job 7, 9 said, He that goes down to Sheol shall come up no more. You have that understanding. You know you're not going to get out. And then a second later, the Lord appears before me and places it back in my mind that I'm a Christian. And to understand that I didn't have to stay in hell for all eternity. I just was so thankful. I didn't want to ask him any questions. I just wanted to praise him. I just kept saying, thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, that's all you want to do. You don't want to ask him a, a question. But thoughts started coming to my mind. And he would answer my thoughts. Psalms one thirty nine two says he answers our thoughts afar off. And I thought, Lord, why did you send me to this horrible place? He said, because many people do not believe hell is real. He said, even some of my own people do not believe hell exists. That statement surprised me because I thought all Christians believe in hell. We have found out since many believe in, like I said, annihilationism or universalism, a teaching that says everybody gets saved, soul sleep, many false teachings. And he he wanted me to tell people, tell them, point them to my word. It's all through the word. Hell is eternal. It's real. And I thought, Lord... I don't want to tell anybody about this experience. They're going to think I'm crazy or had a bad dream. He said, it's not your job to convict their hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's. He said, you just go and tell them. I said, yes, sir. But you know, I complained for seven years. You know, I was asked by, I told my best friend after this happened, and he, I was invited to have a Bible study. I didn't want to go. Three months later, I went reluctantly, and I shared what happened. Well, we began getting invited all over the country. So for the next seven years, there was no book then. For the next seven years, we paid our own way. We traveled around the country sharing this experience. We never took one penny from anybody for those seven years. Then after that, the publisher came to us and asked us to write the book. But I was happy to write the book because I placed in there over 150 verses that talk about everything I saw is already in the Bible. So that's what's important for people to believe, not my experience. But I complained to the Lord for those seven years saying, Lord, I'm a conservative person. I feel uncomfortable sharing this experience. I have a real estate career. My wife and I made a lot of money in the real estate business. We both had really high-paying jobs. What do I need this for? Why do I need to travel, be ridiculed, and pay my own way and do all this? I, I really complained. The Lord put up with me. One day the Lord said to me, Bill, it's not about you being comfortable. It's about you being obedient. I felt really convicted. Now you know it doesn't matter if I feel uncomfortable because if one person can see the light of the Scripture, if they can see the Scripture and come to the Lord and avoid this place, it's worth any uncomfortableness I would ever feel. So now my wife and I, I'm honored to do what we're called to do. God's, but the point is God's given us all something to do. And there's no big shots in God's kingdom. We all need each other. And whatever, we're all equal. It's a team effort. So whatever God's called you to do, just do it with all your heart. and God will remember it. God shared with me eight different thoughts. I'm just going to share with you one more. I'll share with you some more tomorrow night. But I thought, Lord, why didn't I know you? Remember I told you I I didn't. uh, God blocked it from my mind that I was a Christian. Well, see, if I was there as a Christian, which I was, but I didn't realize, I would have known, praise God, he's getting me out of here. Right? I would have known that. But he wanted me to experience what they feel, hopelessness. See, none of us in life really know what it's like to be hopeless. Because even if your situation is so dire, you can always die to get out of the pain. But in hell, you understand you're not getting out. There's no one going to come rescue you. You'll never get out of the pain. Isaiah 38, 18 says, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And we know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They have no hope for him because it's too late. And I just want that to sink into you for a second. For you understand, grasp the seriousness of this decision because one second after you die, it is too late. You will not get a second opportunity. And to be in hell for all eternity, just think about 100 million years will go by and that's still day one. You never get out. You might say, Bill, but I'm a good person. How can a loving God send a good person to hell? Number one, God doesn't send anybody to hell. I'll get to that in a minute. But number two, if you're going to go by the standard of good, then you have to go by God's standard of good. See, that His standard of good and ours are two different things. James 2.10 says if we offend his law in one point, we're guilty of all. If we lie once, Revelation 21.8 says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. If we steal one thing, no thief will inherit heaven. If we have one lustful thought, Jesus said that's the same as committing adultery, and no adulterer will inherit heaven. Well, that's just three of the Ten Commandments. So if we're going to be judged by that standard of good, would we be guilty or innocent? We'd all be guilty. Thank God it's not based on being good. It's based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, there's even a scripture in Proverbs 24.9 that says, even the thought of foolishness is a sin. If you have one foolish thought your entire life, that would exclude you from heaven. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? So nobody can stand before a holy God and say, hey, I'm pretty good, let me in. He's going to say, no, not according to my standard. You're not good. Matter of fact, Job 15, 16 says, man is so filthy, he drinks iniquity like water. So in God's sight, we're filthy rags. So again, thank God it's not based on being good. But you know, you might have trouble with that. A lot of people really struggle with that. They still think, man, a good person, though, going to hell. This guy loved his family. He worked hard. He was good. Well, let me explain why good, a second reason why good would not get you to heaven. I was on a, a secular radio talk show host, uh, with a secular radio talk show host, syndicated across America, Chicago, New York, Miami, and they say, Bill, watch your back with this guy. He does not like Christians, and he will tear you up on the air. I said, okay? So I went on the air, and he says, all right, Christian, I don't want you to quote me one Bible verse over my airways. You got that? I don't want to hear none of this Bible on my airways. I said, okay, no problem. He says, I submit to you that you Christians are unreasonable, that you don't consider my viewpoint. My viewpoint is just as valid as yours, and I'm a good person. He said, and if your God doesn't let me into heaven, I'm a good person. If he doesn't let me in, he's actually guilty of a hate crime. So what do you got to say for yourself, Christian? What do you say? You're live on the air. Well, God gave me an analogy. Thank God. I said, okay, you think you're a good person? You should go to heaven. He goes, that's right. I said, okay, say you went and found the most expensive home in the country, and you went and knocked on their door, and you said, "Uh, excuse me, but I'm moving in with you because I'm a good person. What do you think the people would say? No, right? You wouldn't expect them to. You don't know them. You have no relationship with them. I said, but you, you go through your whole life. You have nothing to do with God. You deny Jesus is the Son of God, which he said is the only way to his house. Then at the end of your life, you have the nerve to come knock on his door, demand to live there because you're a good person. What does good have to do with it? You don't know him. Right? See, God offers to be people's father throughout their whole life. He offers. But people say, I don't want you as my father. I'm not interested. Stay away from me. They push him away. See, God is your creator. He's not your father. invite in Jesus as your savior. Then he becomes your father. Galatians 3.26, John 1.12, John 8.44, Romans nine seven and 8. John 17, 9, all explain that he's your creator. He's not your father. So you invite him in. So that's unreasonable to expect to live at someone's house you don't even know. He says, whoa, you can fight back. That's what he said. On and he says, well, I submit to you that you Christians are unreasonable because, you know, I think all roads lead to heaven. You're narrow-minded. He said, you're a narrow-minded person because I think all roads lead to heaven. That's what I think. I said, well, let me give you another analogy which God gave me on the spot, thank God, again. I said, okay, say you invited me over to dinner, to your home, and you said, Bill, I want you to go south on Highway 95, turn right at Main Street, go up the hill, you'll come to my house. But that's the only way to get to my house. And I say to you, you know what? I think I'm going to go north on 95. I'm going to get off at Beach Boulevard, because I think all roads lead to your house. That's what I think. Well, you are going to tell me, Bill? You're not going to get to my house. I'm trying to give you clear directions to my house. The same way God gives us clear directions to his house. I think God knows where he lives. And I think God knows where he lives. That's not narrow-minded, that's specific. He's given us specific directions of how to get to his house. He's not trying to keep us out. See people think God's up there arbitrarily saying, well this one goes to heaven and this one goes to hell. It's not that way. All of us above the age of accountability are automatically on the road to hell. John 3, 17 and 18 says we're condemned already because we're born in sin. Psalms 51, 2. So that's different than being sent there. We're already going there. That's why Jesus came was the plan of cross right in the middle of that road that we're all on so that we can look up to the cross and look up to him and repent of our sin and say, I'm sorry for my sin and follow, turn around and follow Jesus. He'll take us off that road that we're all on. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You want to live at his house? You do it his way. There's only one way. Now, this is the clear directions to heaven. John three thirty six says, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. But he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Well, how do you believe in the Son? Just two verses. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, unless a man repent, you shall all likewise perish. What does repent mean? That means to have a humble heart and admit, hey man, I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven on my own. I'm willing to turn away from a sinful lifestyle and follow Jesus. It's not enough to mentally assent to the fact and say, yeah, I can believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that. And then go live your own sinful lifestyle, do your own thing. That's not repentance. Repentance means you're going to turn away from a sinful lifestyle and agree to follow Jesus. You commit your life to him. That's true repentance. And on your own, you can't resist sin. But when you get born again, when you give God your heart, and you get born again, he gives us a new nature. He gives us the grace or the ability to stand against the sin. But right now, you just have to be willing to say, man, I want to turn away from that. I'm sick of living in sin. I want God's best for me. you turn and follow Jesus. That's number one. Number two, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. We have to believe in our own heart and confess him with our own mouth. Now, if you say, Bill, I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe there's many roads to heaven, and I think you're wrong. Well, then I got a verse for you. Revelation 21, 8 says, all unbelievers shall have their part in the lake of fire. So he just warned you. There's the warning. He said, if you don't believe my word, you will end up in the lake of fire. That's why Jesus could say in Matthew 12, 37, your own words will condemn you because you said, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe Jesus is the only way. You send yourself to hell by your own words. And because he loves us, he gives us the free will to choose. Do we believe his word or don't we? It is our choice. It's not God's decision if people go to hell. He gave that decision to us. You have to choose. Revelation twenty fifteen says, "Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire." God actually has a book, and He's going to look to see if our names are in His book on Judgment Day. Imagine hearing the words of Jesus saying your name is not here because you chose to push me away. Now he would say weepingly, depart from me into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He would not want to say those words to anyone. You know, one last thing I want to share with you. God shared a piece of his heart with me. When we were coming up out of hell, and I'll talk more about this tomorrow night, we were in this whirlwind tunnel. We came up out above the earth, And I looked, he had me turn around, look back into this tunnel that we came out of. And people were falling one after another back down this tunnel, back down into hell. And he wept when he saw all these people falling into hell. And he allowed me to feel just a piece of his heart, the anguish he feels for a soul going into hell. I couldn't even stand it. I said, Lord, stop. I don't even want to feel a piece of the anguish you feel. His love is so great for people. Ephesians 3.19 said, his love passes knowledge. It's way past our ability to, to, to even conceive. You know, we all love our loved ones, right? You love your children, you would give your life, or whatever. God's love far exceeds our love. And I didn't even want to feel at peace of the heart and the anguish he feels for so in hell. That's why he wants us as Christians to go and share the gospel with you. He doesn't want one person to go to his place. You know, when the Titanic set sail, there were all different walks of life and all different religions on that ship. And they say there were three different classes of people on the ship, the lower, the middle, and the upper class. But after the Titanic went down, at the Starline office in Liverpool, England, uh, there were two signs posted. And the people would wait breathlessly each day as a man would come out to write their relative's name down on one of the signs. One sign said, known to be saved, the other one said, known to be lost. Now, when the ship left, there were all different beliefs, all different walks of life, and three classes of people. But in the end, there's only two. You're either saved or you're lost. And it's your choice. So my question for you tonight is, do you know if your name is written in his book? You have to be certain of this one. There's no guessing. And you can be certain. You can know that your name is written in God's book in heaven. But it's your choice. And please don't think, you know, I can think about this later. Because you don't realize if you leave here, you don't know him. You don't know that your heart grows harder. The moment you leave, your heart grows harder because you rejected the gospel. Your heart will grow harder and it's more difficult to reach you. And you don't even know that you'll have tomorrow. And you can't even come to God unless he calls you. John 6.44 says, you can't even come unless he's drawing you. And He's drawing you now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here tonight, you'd say, Bill, I don't know if my name's in this book. I'm not certain. And I don't know if I've ever really truly repented. But I want my name in His book. And I, I want to follow God. I just need help. Well, you don't have to clean yourself up. You just come as you are. God loves you and he will help you.